Episode 72 of Gaming NBS, sponsored by Grayed Out Productions. Head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash Grayed Out and receive 10% off your order when you use the promo code GamingNBS to get an awesome dice bag. All right, welcome to Gaming NBS, episode 72, where we're talking about Dungeon Crawl Classics in our part two of two. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome back, folks. Welcome we have back. Jen again. We do have Jen Brinkman. So the last introduction that we had was a little bit more in depth. We're going to have Jen start at the beginning of this episode because why keep her presence secret? Jen is the co-host of Spellburn podcast as well of Sanctum Secorum podcast as well as doing many other things within the gaming ethosphere. Welcome back, Jen. Hey guys, good to be back. Thank you. We Glad didn't. We didn't. Uh, we, we didn't, didn't do anything. You. We didn't make you wish we were dead or anything horrible. So that's good. Or maybe Are you, you do. Kidding. This is like <laughs> the highlight of my week. <laughs> Wow! So just, just so folks know, off air, Jen Jen listed a bunch of horrible things she has to get done. So <laughs> the fact that we're there, we're we're just above like plunging a toilet at this point. Right. I think is we rank above that slightly. Yeah. You, here's the bar, and then Jen is right above that. So yeah, we just <clears throat> we're, we're easy to get to. So That's Sean, right. a couple of quick announcements, eh? Um, yeah, man. Real fast, one I want to do. I ran my first DCC game. I ran a funnel this last Friday. And uh, a couple of buddies of mine. <clears throat> Thank you. I sat down and I grabbed uh, Sailors on the Starless Sea. I read, I ran it as written. I wanted to make sure I was in the DCC feel. I wanted to make sure I did everything within it. Um, we started off with like 12 characters. I had two at the end <laughs> out of the Excellent. funnel. Excellent. It, uh, it was a grind. My buddy, uh, Nick, I hadn't gamed with him in a while. So it was one of the first times I'd had him back at the table. And I explained the system and the feel, the approach, and he was, boom, right in. He was in that mode, in that moment. I think one of my favorite pieces were, was when he uh, his squire said, uh, I kind of look around, make sure no one's looking, and I I, uh, I shoved the scribe through the door um, because he wanted to see what would happen. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I have a lot of characters. Push. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Zave played with me as well, and he was very uh, he was very much trying to – Zave's a character guy. So he was kind of thinking of backgrounds and personalities and stuff. And I'm like, dude, zero-level funnel. Don't get too invested in any one thing. Just let's just play. It's DCC. Let's just go at this thing. You'll develop personalities and stuff as we go. And once he got in the groove, it was a hoot. We had a blast. The uh, the beastmen and the critters within it. Oh, it was a, it was so much fun. Sean had recommended that adventure to me, and I grabbed it, and uh, it was a blast. Jen, so, would you not uh, disagree? Would you disagree with my choice of uh, first or zero level funnel? No, I think it's. Pretty much evolved into a classic, yeah, you know, on its own standing. So it, it was that's a, a great choice. I mean, there's so many to choose from, but you can also take a a level one or even a level two adventure and scale it back and make that be your funnel too. I love the versatility of this game. Absolutely, nope, very good point, but Sean. Sailors, and the other- yeah, classic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was. I mean, it was so. It's there's more to it. There's a piece where you actually uh, you can level up. And so at, when I get back up next month with the guys, like, we're going to play first level characters next time, right? So they want more. So more is coming. So Awesome. awesome. <clears throat> and Sean, we've got the listener survey results posted up, right? 
We do have the listener survey results. Um, they have been posted on Facebook. I don't know if I had Twitter and Google Plus. So uh, I think the last so many times that we brought it up, there were 29 respondents, and that's where it kind of ended up. Um, probably because we didn't really promote it after the fact, after we kind of sent it out the first time. So we had 29 out there and uh, put it out there for everybody to see. Uh, we are out of the 29. I'd say um, if I were to set that as a percentage of our audience, it's probably less than 10%, which is still very good as far as the survey goes. Um, and we are obviously very heavy male dominated as far as listeners go. Um, probably not a, not a surprise in the RPG industry. Hopefully that's changing, right, Jen? Working on it, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, good stuff. Then the best part to me was we had everybody who, who wrote in, we didn't get, at least in my opinion, we didn't get any like, you guys suck, go away. You know, just, it was all useful, helpful. Hey, I would like to see you do this thing. I like this piece of it. Could you change this? Hey, the sound quality, could you work on? Could you do? And it was all actionable stuff that Sean, I could take and say, Hey, you know what? How, how do we want, we really do want to improve. We want to change something. What can we do? And, uh, you, you listeners gave us some really good stuff. So thank you very much for doing that guys. Yes. For everybody that filled it out. I know surveys are snoozes and go on and you never know when they're going to finish. And, you know, frankly, why do you want to even fill it out? But um, no, but the community cool was, stuff. excuse me, good enough to to give us some feedback, which is good. And I we want to take that. Like we mentioned it before, we want to actually do something with it. And so thanks, everybody, for doing that. We may run it again in another three months, six months, maybe ask a few different questions and get, to know, our, get to know more about our audience. So, Sean, I think we want to cut. We've got so much to talk about today. And uh, if we, we, we go, do. if we end up like we did before, we're going to have on part 17 with Jen Brinkman. Yes. <laughs> we're going to be dragging this sucker out. So, so, for the first time, I think, in since we've ever, like, since we've started recording, we've never not done a random encounter, as far as I know. I think maybe episode one, when no one, had, when no one knew who we were and no one wrote in, perhaps. Maybe. Maybe. But so, we're going to, we're going to, Basically, everybody who wrote in, we've got some great stuff. Forrest Gary, we got stuff from yes. uh, James Bartis and others. We got your emails. We got your uh, tweets and stuff, folks. We're going to get into that next episode. Well, we'll speaking, speaking of next episode and some of the people that had written in, emailed, and commented and everything, um, we also listed our schedule online through Correct. Facebook and uh, G Plus through May-ish. So some of the folks, we had mentioned it. I thought we put it out there. Obviously, we didn't. So I took a spreadsheet copy of what Brett and I are using and pasted it out to those communities. So if you're interested in, and, and when we're coming up on a topic, if you're kind of tuned in, we'll, we'll obviously tell you, hey, next week we're going to talk about this. Um, we'll try to give you a heads up. If you have questions about the topic that we're going to cover, feel free to write them in beforehand and we will implement them into the show or like you say hey i've heard of this game like dcc i i heard about the magic system can you guys make sure you elaborate on that or whatever and we will absolutely do our best to put that into the show and uh of course the schedule subject to change you never know something yes might come up something else might change so yeah but that's the plan well as, see what happens as a matter of fact be, the reason i bring that up is because the next episode we may focus more on some of the listener feedback and things of that nature. So we may be 
shuffling an episode around. But I do have something to share, kind of random encounter that I wanted to bring up. You're, do it. All right. So Brett does not know about this. And so this is our mini random encounter. We'll try to keep it short. Okay. Um, so there's an individual on Facebook. Uh, I won't use his name, but uh, they messaged us on the Gaming and BS page, right? So not public post or anything. They actually messaged us, and I'll read that message. You ready for this, is, Brett? Is this a death threat? Another it is death not threat. a death threat. Okay. Good. I assure you, no. Uh, feedback. I don't want to be rude, so I'm sending a private message. Right? Very good. Uh, very tactful. Thank you. Uh, I'm listening to my first Gaming and BS podcast a few days ago. I wanted to hear the Kickstarter review of Lloyd Metcalf's KS because he's a friend. I respect your opinion on it, but you guys seem negative about the whole KSers reviewed. That's not my main criticism, though. One of the hosts says, you know, repeatedly. It's his filler word for pauses, similar to most people's um. Anyway, it's very annoying and I couldn't keep listening. If you doubt me, listen to the January 2016 podcast and count the you knows. I think if that host listened to himself, they would decrease dramatically. That should be an easy fix. If I'm the first to mention it, maybe it's just me. So I I kind of I thought, huh, that's strange. I don't remember the Kickstarter except so I so now I reply, right? Yeah. I, so, because how do I reply to that, right? Well, I mean, please off, tell me you start with, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, exactly. Wow. So, so points for brutal honesty. I mean, mm. that's I. It's feedback. Cool. I mean, that's I, not bad. I like to share the bad with the good because I don't think we're above that. So, I you say, know. you know, thanks for the feedback. I listen to. Uh, so this is Sean, but they they see it coming from gaming and BS. Thanks for the feedback. I listen to a lot of podcasts and filler words drive me crazy. So I get that would be a problem. As for Kickstarters, I don't recall any tie to Lloyd's Kickstarter. Are you sure that's us? <laughs> We, we certainly have our opinions on Kickstarters, but we have backed quite a few, too. Yeah. Again, we appreciate the feedback and that you gave us a fair shot. We realize we may feel, fall short and not be for everyone. Heck, some of our personal gamer friends won't listen to us. We still appreciate all, game, we still appreciate all gamers. So he responded. I don't I, honestly, I, that, that was what threw me. Is I don't remember Lloyd Metcalf. So at this point, I'm still kind of scratching my head, right? I'm like, I don't know about this. What I don't, but I, how can you mistake in us? I don't know. So he says it's this Kickstarter. Gives me a link. He says I'm not even backing it now. Now I don't even know if I should even. So maybe I'm outing him by just saying that he goes. I'm not even backing it. I will give you guys another listen, but that you know could be easily fixed. You were on a topic I like, and otherwise there was good symmetry. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe it is us. And I'm thinking, geez, does Brett use you know all the time? I don't know if I do. I know. I know what. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am aware that one of my favorite things is the point is. I mean, if you put that in quotes, you ever play bingo they, with don't give I, Don't give them any phrases right. to hone in on. It'll crash us. Okay, go. All right, continues. I continue. Thanks. We would still understand if you bail. Now, I have to figure out which one of us is the culprit. And he says, it was the guy presenting the Kickstarters. Sorry if it was you. So my so my message is, I'm still baffled by the presenting Kickstarters. And we don't do that. And quote unquote, wanted to hear the review of 
blah, 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 Kickstarter, because we don't do reviews of Kickstarters. Um, We mention them in die roll from time to time. So I'd say, I address them. I go, hey, I'd like to look into the you know issue. We have done three shows in 2016 so far. Do you know which one you're referring to? Right? Okay. He writes back, OMG, I'm sorry. This is, I got the wrong guys. I got your podcast confused. <laughs> oh, now I'm afraid to mention the other podcast. I, I won't mention don't, the other, mention I won't one. mention That's the other one. podcast. And he That's says, funny. I recently listened to that one and yours a couple days apart. They are the ones with the, you knows. I listened to yours for the DCC Jen Brinkman interview. Yours is really good. My sincere apologies, but for a laugh, listen to, and he gives me the podcast and the January podcast. I'm going to go hide in a corner now. Oh, that's uh, sure. Now that you've given everyone a complex over here. Right. Right. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what. Well, you know, I mean, I I, I have done something. I've done similar things where you're like, you're going off on something and then you suddenly realize like you're in a loud public forum. You're like, I'm in the wrong place saying the wrong things and I need to shut up and go wish I was dead somewhere else. So I, I, I know that feeling when you've totally put your foot in your mouth. So I've, I've been there. I've done that. So I told him, I, you know, his name is like, you know, if it was Sean Kelly, I'll say, I'll say it was, um, Dawn smelly, you know, I won't divulge your real name. And he said, no, that's fine. And then he, you know, he's like, you can use this. And I, so I am refuse. I don't want to talk. I don't want to mention his name. Cause one, his friend's doing a Kickstarter and two, he mentions another podcast, but I just was like stupefied at this. So, I mean, literally look, so this is a lesson to folks that are out there. If you're going to write a bad review on iTunes, make sure you have the right podcast. <laughs> That's funny. Or, or post it publicly to the podcast page, because that way you still have the option of deleting your own post. That's very true. Touche. Touche. Oh, oh, sorry, did I give away secrets? No. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> oh, I've never had to delete some bad words before. <laughs> Now, some some of our listeners may feel exactly like this individual. Oh yeah, like well, as, as Sean said, one of my best friends doesn't like us, and I, I don't think <laughs> he's a gamer. He's a great gamer. He just doesn't like us. I'm like, okay, don't tell you, bud. Off you go. All right, let's get into the topic, shall we? Let's do the thing. All right, so we're back, part two, DCC. Jen Brinkman's here to keep us on track. What could we possibly <laughs> cover that we didn't cover in episode one? She well, would know because she's part of Spellburn, which has a whole podcast, episode after episode, every, what is it, two weeks, Jen? Uh, Spellburn lately has been monthly. There, okay. There's been a lot of real life. Sorry, guys. Hey, um, it happens. Yeah. But plenty but, of back catalog. Still, still operating. Oh, yeah. Um. I think we're up to 50. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so a podcast of 50 episodes that are covering just this game and we're trying to do it in two. We can only hit the highlights. That's the best it, we can do. It is a little daunting. Yes. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what I was hoping to get through today. I want to talk a little bit about characters and setting, get into a little bit of combat. And I want to focus more on some of the magic components. Cause that's where some of the really cool i mean when people talk to me about the spell burn and stuff they want to they want to know more about that and then also the the um the creativity role-playing aspects and um 
I want to see if I can challenge the notion that I've heard from folks around it's only for one shots. You can't play a long-term campaign. So we'll get to that later. And so, Jen, don't come through the monitor and strangle me just yet with that statement. Because <laughs> I don't believe it's true. I swear I don't believe it. Um, so characters and setting. This game, it has alignments, but we only have three. Law, neutrality, chaos, correct? Right. And that's it's very important to note that lawful doesn't necessarily mean good. You, you don't right. have the nine axis points there and no. Um, and in fact, the alignment can vary from class to class. Yep. If you are a thief and you choose lawful or neutral or chaotic uh, chaos as your alignment, then you have different progressions for your different thieving skills. If you're a cleric and you're of a certain alignment, and if if the three of us are playing and I'm the cleric, Jen's character is neutral, I'm neutral, um, my healing to her as a neutral, um, neutral line, me neutral line, I have a better chance to heal, heal her. If Sean happens to be chaotic and I'm neutral, um, he gets a little less healing. If I was lawful and Sean was chaotic, um, worse things could happen. I, you know, at, at some point, the two steps removed. Yeah, two steps removed. Two steps removed. So there, there's an impact to the alignment in a mechanical perspective, in uh, as how you're healed, if for no other reason. And yeah, that's that's cool. Games. I like that piece and component because. Clerics kind of, they do their thing and heal everybody regardless of what the player's background is. Maybe the cleric and somebody wants to role play it and ham it up. They may say, hey, I'm not going to heal you because I really don't like what you do. You kind of stand against my deity's moral ground or whatever that is. Yeah, I worship Ra and uh, you've yet to convert and I've saved you from death 52 times. So that, what's the so deal? That's going to be 10 gold, please. Exactly. Right. So in DCC, there's mechanic for that too, right? I mean, if you aren't the same alignment, you're the effect of healing you because you don't see things in the right light. Um, and, and your deity might not look favorably upon you healing someone of the opposite alignment. Favor. Yeah. Favor. We'll get more into that in magic. So. <laughs> All right. The other piece okay, uh, on the alignment, then yes. uh, important to note things like dwarves mm -hmm. in the write up for the class, lawful dwarves are the most common, neutral are kind of rare, chaotic dwarves, there's not even an option for it. That's true, that's a good point. Jen. I mean, they, they're all about. You know, there's an order that things are done in. There's chaotic dwarves are exceedingly rare in their, at least in their home countries. I shouldn't say it's not an option, but it's, it's very, very rare. That yeah, is a good point. Chaotic dwarves are death or exile is their natural fate. Banishment due to rebellion and disobedience. Um, <clears throat> direct quote there, of course. I look, when I read that, the first thing that came to my mind was uh, kind of another callback, if you will, to the Warhammer uh, world is the the troll slayer, the giant slayer, this crazy guy with a mm -hmm. big orange mohawk who's got a death wish. Um, where the dwarves acknowledge that he's a dwarf, but he's this weird shunned piece that nobody really wants to associate with. So that's yeah. I, I would almost. It's, I think it's I, even stronger than I don't that. No, I I would almost call that dude neutral. Fair enough. As I said, it, it brought that to mind, but. I think, uh, Jen, your point is solid, though. The, the alignments, when you read the different 
classes, there's very specific. I mean, Elf, it talks about, hey, elves tend to be like this. Halflings are like this. And yes, you can play against that type. But then as the judge and the player, as you're developing the character and judge when you're when you're running somebody and like, oh, you're a Kadic dwarf, knowing that that is un, that that's unusual. It's very rare. It has a weird stigma to it. It gives me an opportunity yes. to role play the encounter better or differently. Right. And, you know, that the lawful versus evil thing. No, chaotic isn't necessarily evil, but. Uh, I guess the best example I could give is the Carnifex, one of my favorite deities that comes out in uh, one of the modules from Harley Stroh. She is the patron saint of, or was, I should say, of the executioners and the judges. And so it's all about death, but they're lawful. Yeah. So that that should paint a little picture for the people who are of the the uninitiated sort. You look in uh, in this one, uh, Great Cthulhu is a neutral god. Great Cthulhu right. is not chaotic from a deity perspective. So a lot of people oftentimes, um, if you think, I mean, that, again, if you're going to play Dungeon Crawl Classics, get into the mood, read the book, understand the feel of it and what they mean. And your preconceived notion of law, chaos, and neutrality, it is a little bit different. Make sure you read the section so you get it and you grok it and it'll help you help you later on as you're running through different adventures and stuff. You'll be able to do it right slash better. Well said. Thank you. So, Sean, one of the things you and I talked about um, with Pathfinder and even games like uh, GURPS and stuff with these massive skill lists, right? Lists and lists of skills and so forth. DCC foregoes massive skill lists down to simple skill checks. You're either trained or untrained, basically. Sean, is that something? What do you think about that? Is that cool for you? Good, bad, ugly? I think it's cool, Brett. I really do. Awesome. Yeah. Would you care to elaborate? Um, Sure. <laughs> Jerk. So uh, the skill, I think we touched on it a little bit, even before Jen was on, where the skills are tied to the background of the character. So if you can make an argument that that there is some tie there, and they're DC-based, right? Yep. And you so would, if, you're a, if you're a farmer and you're like, well, I have a pretty good idea what kind of weeds I've pulled out of my garden, and I, you know, I've had to till the earth and pull trees, and I know what, you know, Rats and coyotes and wolves and bears. I know a little bit about that. So therefore, and Jen as judge could say, oh, absolutely. If my farmer says, I, I have a pretty good idea of metallurgy, Jen may say, farmer, not so much. Untrained. And the difference there is that you would roll a D10 for the skill check as opposed to a D20. Yep. So again, that the, the, the dice, the funky dice, the die chain comes into effect where instead of saying, oh, you're at a minus 10 or you're at a minus whatever. No, just use a different die. The DC for the check Maybe set Jen could set it at fifteen. Sean is untrained. He gets a D ten to try to obtain a fifteen. I happen to have a D twenty because I am trained in it. So there you go. Is it a D ten all the time, Jen, or is it? Uh, that's the standard recommendation. Yeah, well, the gotcha. judge can always play with it. Gotcha. So and because it's a die chain movement thing, right? You could say, you know what, um, a twelve, a fourteen. Something that's it's close but not quite. You're a sailor, but you're not a sail maker. Or I mean, you don't want to get crazy nuts and boltsy. So I think the the free flowing um, way that it's supposed to work. Judgments, rulings, not rules. The judge is more free to say, "Hey, look, you know, use a use the seventeen sider. Go for it." <laughs> right. Yeah. For for the skills specifically, it does say roll a d10 instead of a d20, but that would be like a thief trying to use a scroll as opposed to a magic user using a scroll. Yep. 
so again, to Sean's point, it's you, this is my background. This is my character. She is good at this. She comes from a blacksmithing family. Therefore she knows this stuff. She knows Jack, nothing about woodcraft because that's not her gig. So, right. Cool. Now, um, the other piece along with skills that ties to me, this is kind of the, the setting perspective is there's limits to what player character knows especially to me, one of the things that struck me really big was distance. I mean, when you talk a lot of the fantasy worlds, Middle Earth or Shannara, whatever, oh my God, they travel hundreds of miles, many months travel. Dungeon Crow Classic specifically talks about the fact that nobody goes a month's distance anywhere. Nobody walks a hundred miles. That's crazy town talk. You can, everything is in this, it's, it's a much smaller community um, adventuring out of a village or a city and having that and being within you know, a couple days March seems to be more the more the method. Jen, is that am I reading that right? Is that the right feel? Uh, that's pretty much what I've gotten. If you travel further away, it's because you are the heroes. You you would be the only ones known to the people in your home village to have done so. So it's it's a might it's a well to use the use the term uh, not mechanically but it's a mighty deed right it's something that people don't normally do that you're a special person to have done this type of thing you've gone to the far mountains of wherever and dealt with the troll king or whatever the hell it is you did it's a big damn deal right you're basically the ones making the map at that point yeah because no no one else knows what lies beyond it one of the pieces that sean i talked about over lunch the other the other piece of that is their there's not a lot of 10th level mages or excuse me, not a lot of 10th level wizards and warriors and halflings and such running around. The, the percentages of low to high level, there's just not a lot of that stuff out there. No, very rare. Um, I can't remember what the actual breakdown is, but it's... You are, yeah, you are jumping all over the place, man. Sorry. <laughs> That's my thing. <laughs> Sorry, Jen. But I guess the, what I'm, the... The piece of this is to me that is exciting or, or interesting is that when you take a setting as opposed to saying, well, I'm going to go in the front realms, I'm going to go from Daggerdale all the way to the Sword Coast, and from there I'm going to go up to 10 towns. That type of layout, it just flat doesn't exist for most people. Most people that you encounter would, may know a certain area around Daggerdale, but anything farther away from that, they've never been, never seen. And if you show up kind of out of the blue, they'd be like, wow, stranger, where where do you hail from? You're an oddity. You're something that people are going to be really interested in. Well, Very much so. Yeah, that is true. So what Brett is getting at is that the world is really big and nobody goes past the the hill. That beyond the hill, you know, is is no is unknown. It's like if you're the hobbits. And you're like, hey, I don't get far farther than Bree. You know, everything past <laughs> that is like crazy, nutty. You know, I talk to people that live in farm towns here in Wisconsin. They think coming to Madison is like the big city. Holy cow, that's crazy. You don't want to go there. It's it's a little bit of that. But let's keep in mind, though, in the game, though, you could play DCC and not have that. You could play that. If you're going to reuse the rules in a different setting, you could probably forego that. However, it is kind of tied to the the spirit, I should say, of DCC. True. Uh, it is very it's very feasible to drop a campaign or or an adventure into 
a city as well. True. Yeah. So you can have some place with a larger population. Yep. Just they don't quite know, you know, what's across the sea on the other side. Got it. Or, or they might know from people who have been and back, but those people are going to be very few. Uh, going back to what Brett was saying, um, there might be two experts in a field out of a hundred people. Yep. I'm looking at the same thing when you, I mean, from a level perspective, you know, if you're a fourth level, whatever, that's an considered elder learned genius. There's one in 5,000 of those, right? You don't, right. there's not a lot of these folks around. So <clears throat> I guess what I'm getting at is when you have the third level character, the second level character, there's something really cool about that. Oftentimes in a D and D, or a Pathfinder type of world. Okay, I hit fifth level. Thank God, I'm finally hazard class. I've got fireball. I got some cool stuff. The that level progression again. I think just put that aside and realize that a third level DCC character in this world with this with this mechanical layout is pretty cool. I mean, there's a lot of oomph behind that. It's a, a good rule of thumb is that if you are second or third level, you're probably around sixth or seventh in say first edition D and D. Oh, thank you. Very good comparison. Good. So that's the reason you don't see many things like level eight and above for player characters in DCC, unless it's done as a one-shot game. If you're a level 10, you are on ranks with a demigod. Yeah. You, you are epic level. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that... How often oh, have we played those? <laughs> Never! Say, not that often. <laughs> So to kind of tie from here, I think we can probably slip into the combat component, but what I want to talk about a little bit is the the monster. So when you go through this and you look at it, you don't have the standard list of, oh, there's a there's goblins, kobolds, flumps, there's a, an owlbear, uh, ogres, so on and so forth. The way uh -huh. monsters are approached here are very different. And I had a hard time when I was trying to explain it. I'm like, look, here's an example. I was using the examples out of the book. So Jen, when, when you've got to explain it to somebody, you've probably done hell a lot more than I have. Um, the monsters are just flat different, the way they're approached. Uh, yeah, if somebody sets you on a quest to go slaughter something, uh, they'll call it by a name. They'll, they'll call it the Bull Man or, or something, you know, with a first name as opposed to the... Minotaur. Oh, I'm, I'm, thank you. I'm so sorry. That's okay. It's been a, such a long day. <laughs> I was right there. The the Minotaur, you know, there, there's no such thing as the unicorn. It's a unicorn. You know, there, there's not a dragon or a worm. No, that, that's going to be, you know, Bluto the fire breather or something. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Everything's a lot Pardon more. me for the cheesiness, but. <laughs> no, but I think, I think the, the critters are more personal. Very um, much you so. don't you don't have a blanket goblin a blanket ogre if you have you know a large you know bestial troll like thing that lives in the mountains you know by the name of Ragnar you know Ragnar comes down from the hills it's essentially in D and D parlance may well be an ogre or an ogre like thing or a hill giant but it's a huge giant like thing people may well call it a giant especially halflings because it's so fucking big um, but I think the it you're it really helps. And uh, this is one of the things that I talked about last episode. This is one of the pieces I stole from DCC to refresh my brain to make things more wondrous in my D&D gaming was to stop saying, you see five goblins. I do. Yeah. You see five things that look like this. Five little this. short dudes. Yep. Pointy ears, big, sharp teeth, <laughs> dirty and smelly. 
And then give differentiations between them. You know, some are kind of a mottled yellow, some are a fiery red, some are this. And the differences between it, when you don't have a miniature in front of you, if you will, that all looks like the same little bloody goblin pressed out of a mold, because that's what they are. Um, you're like, oh, they're all the same. When you start giving different um, components, like the Beastmen my group ran into, one of them had this nasty wolfman-like thing, and it was like pustules popping out maggots constantly. It was vile and disgusting. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and the guys were like, what the fuck is that? I mean, <laughs> the thing And that's like, exactly what you want. You exactly. Want- and at that point, your zero level character might have that moment of trepidation of, I want to, wait, do I really want to get near that thing? Or no, this is unnatural. It has to go. You yep. know, so you get that, that varying slide of responses. So I think the game itself, again, in the spirit of it, it really stresses the, the not craziness, but the wondrous, the weird of this is not normal. It looks different. And don't call a thing by its, you know, species, genus, and so forth. It's not a goblin. It is a short gap, you know, short, you know, shark tooth, big mouth, beady eyed, whatever. You're like, fuck, what is that? That's freaky. Goblin, eh, kill those all the time. Well, yeah, I think it really <laughs> harkens back to the Appendix N feel of it, too. Absolutely. Now, Lovecraft didn't describe his deep ones by name. They were tall men that looked kind of amphibious, kind of fish-like, but frog-like at the same time. And yeah, you you don't get the nomenclature until you're talking to the people in the town who have given it that name. Yes. So the other piece then is, just before we jump into combat, so you mentioned this. This is not, it's Dungeon Crawl Classics. So one of the things my players ask me, what's all you do is just Dungeon Crawls. There's no like Overland Adventures. Is everything in a dungeon? I'm like, yes. Oh. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. I'm joking. It, it's it obviously has plenty of other things you can that you can do with this thing, right? Man, hey, wait a minute. Hold on. I got a beef. Hold on. So every time somebody plays Dungeons and Dragons, it's always Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, no, I come get on it. now. That was immediately. That's a where little short sighted here. That's immediately where I went to. I'm like, so I mean, the title can't be everything on it. I mean, right. that's, that's not quite possible. Who guys. in your group said that, Brad? Call him out. No, I'm not doing Call, that. Call, all right, you tell me later so I so can write him an email. I'll tell you later. All right. <laughs> Anyways, tunnels and trolls. It's only about tunnels. It's only and about trolls. tunnels. There's only trolls. Anyway, um, Jen, let's talk combat <laughs> here. Right. We talked about Mighty Deeds a little bit last time. Mm-hmm. Um, criticals and fumbles. So, Jen, what is, um, how's combat working this thing? I mean, when we're talking, it's, it's normal D20s to hit, um, but eventually Usually. you get other. Usually. Usually. So warriors, dwarves have mighty deeds, which yes. we talked about last time, kind of like your your feats, if you will, from your Pathfinder and, and 3.0 and other variations. Right. Where you get that extra die that you get to roll, you add that total to your attack and your damage equally. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about mighty deeds is that if it has narrative awesomeness and it fits and you succeed, the damn deed succeeds. There's not a lot of... Uh, I mean, if you're doing, you're trying to, you know, knock the demon back through the portal, you're trying to sever the strap on the, uh, <clears throat> on the saddle to upend the, uh, the chaos warrior off of his mount. That's what happens. You don't, um, right. there's plenty of examples in the book, but it clearly states these are examples. Get your mind working and go from there. Write your own. Absolutely. Um, the criticals and fumbles, we talked about the different charts and so forth. I just want to ask when you're playing combat, Jen, um, well, maybe the first question, how many people are usually at a table with you? Do you have, do you find a sweet um, spot of six players, 
Eight, ten, three. You know, my very first game was five or six. The second game was eight players. And since then, I've gone everywhere from three to 12. So wow. <laughs> normally, I find five to be the nice manageable number, maybe six. But yeah, when you get to be, when you get that little horseshoe of 11 or 12 players around you, it, it's a little too close to feeling like a school marm at least for me. And you need things like a koosh ball so that other people can shut the hell up. Yes. Hey, I'm holding the koosh. Shut up over there. He who holds the horn shall speak. Exactly. Uh, So it's a lot harder to get anywhere and make progress in a campaign or even in a combat with that number of players. So the, the smaller table works really well. We talked about this a little bit last time with the with the charts for the criticals and the fumbles and the different magic charts when you're in combat. It feels like um, again. It's if it, it it reads to me that it's manageable. It doesn't oh, seem like it's this nasty lookup because your your warrior has his chart. This person has theirs, and it doesn't seem like it's all that complicated. So I guess where I'm going for is that do you feel your combats and Sean, you've run this more than I have as well. Um, are your combats pretty quick? Uh, for the most part, and you know, the majority of the players who know what the heck they're doing. Um, They've got their action ready. They know what dice they're rolling. And if there's a chart, somebody else has a book. They're looking it up at the same time to help things move along really swiftly. Yeah, the nice thing about it, which we didn't go into a lot of the classes piece of it, but when even, Brad, if you did the zero funnels, did you have each person roll up their own or did you have pre, pre-gens? We did it all. We just sat down and rolled them yeah. all up because they wanted to understand how it all worked. Yep. And Good get deal. The, get the ideas behind it. So when you do like when you use Purple Sorcerer, when you go to Purple Sorcerer's website, so they John Marr and the Purple Sorcerer Games, they have a zero level funnel, zero level generator, character generator, and I think you can bump it up to first or second. You can do that, and it'll automatically generate them. The reason I bring that up is because when you generate zero level folks, you can just spit them out, and you don't have to have players do it. But it's really it it puts down what your to hit is. Like here's what you need to hit or I'm sorry, here's what you roll, what die type, and then the addition to that, and that's it. Like, you have a, if it's a zero level, it may be, you know, you own a rake. Your rake is, <laughs> you know, it is, it's like a D, you know, D20 roll plus two. So it automatically factors in that. So if you have a person that's new to role-playing games, now us, we know that, well, that's based on their strength because they get a strength bonus. But a lot of folks that I've gamed with at cons, they don't know that stuff. So it's right there, though. It's like you roll a d20 and you add two to it, and that's it. And then, oh, I hit. Okay, then your damage is right next to it. It's a 1d4, and that's it, or plus two or whatever. The other thing I found was that the math on it is very fast, which, as I've elucidated before on this podcast, I suck at math, so that's good for me. Um, but <laughs> when you, it's, it's really simple insofar as, you know, your Pathfinder thing, and Sean, I, I mean, I love Pathfinder. I've played it many times. There's a lot of crunch to it. There, there's a lot of mechanics and add this, add that, check this feat, check this, as this connected and so forth, um, where it can feel that way. This one, when you're a warrior, you read through and say, oh, I have essentially, you know, I'm, I get to add my luck to my longsword. I get to add this. Correct. It's, it's like, it's two pages for your class that says, look, this is what you do. And it's very, it's very black and white. It's very easy to understand. And, you know, you just write it down. And I think that's where, for me, when working with the guys this last Friday was that the speed just came in. Oh, this is it. Great. Click, click, click. We're just rolling dice and going. Well, and that's the trick, right? That's the thing I was kind of getting at is that's it, right? So if you're you're a warrior, you have your strength, 
if there's a modifier, and then you have the deed die. And then that's pretty much it. If you got a, a modifier to the weapon, great. If it's magical, but typically it won't. That's it. That's it. And then if you have damage, you roll the damage of the weapon, add the strength damage, and your deed die. That's it. That's it. Period. It's not like 50,000 feats and all this other stuff, which makes it really simple and straightforward. And it in that speeds things up. Yep. Jen, what's your, what's your favorite part of combat? Do you like it when people are like, when that, when the head gets pulped, mm. when the fumble hits, is there a certain piece of it? Cause there's in a game like this, there's going to be combat, right? You're going after stuff. That's part oh, yeah. of the meat, the meat and potatoes here. If when I've run it the, this one time, it was never dull. And my it was always felt exciting, partly because it was every hit was like life and death. And perhaps it's just because there was zero level, but that was the exciting part for me. I think my favorite part bridges on something that you're going to talk about later. And that's the creativity aspect. Because when the players are really getting into it and, oh, I'm, I'm leaping off my mount and I want to hit the guy over here and get him off of my friend and, you know, use my shield bash to push this guy into the ravine. Okay, cool. Give me more details. And, you know, maybe if you, even if you don't technically succeed with your deed die, because they need a, a three or higher to quote unquote go off and thus, you know, get the bonus for, your trip attack or your pre- precision shot. Um, I might still add a little bonus to that because you are so colorful with your explanation. Cause cool. you're making my life easier. It's yeah. all about cooperative storytelling. Yeah. If all me- I do is like, I want to try to do a thing. I roll the hit. Okay, dude, Brett, you're, you're, you're dead to me. <laughs> I mean, if, if uh, I, if I'm boring, we, it's, it's harder to get the extras. Yeah. The, I've had people playing warriors or dwarves and they sit down and they, oh, I hit it. And they roll a D20. I will not even remind them to roll their deed die. Uh. I, it, that's, that's the premise that the book sets. If you're doing something spectacular, you get that deed die. Right. If so all you're it, doing is rolling the hit, there's no, there's no mighty deed in that. You may as well be a thief. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. So Sean, I think we beat combat. Ha, well, what about ones? What about ones and twenties, man? Oh well, we talked about that a little bit last time. Twenties, twenties are your big one, right? That's your criticals. You've got different charts. There's dragon oh. crits. There's warriors have got different ones. You've and, got the judge has different uh, charts for giants and undead and dragons and demons and even regular monsters. What's your so What's your favorite the, critical, Jen? Oh, jeez. Um, you know, lately, since we've been doing some playtesting in the Lankmar setting, I've got to say I like the critical hit for warriors that results in battle rage. Oh. Because they could spend points of either intelligence or personality, let's face it, two stats that warriors don't usually use anyway, and... You for each point spent, you get to add a D twelve worth of damage to their attack. Damn. So I think it's imp- now we're, we we kind of like yeah, it's critical twenty, you know, and it does really crazy stuff. But I want I think it's really important to just share some of these, <laughs> not get into a ton of them, because I think what's happening when we talk about 
criticals and fumbles, it's easy to look up a chart and just say, it's this, it's a plus two or negative four, blah. Okay. So right? I have, the, I have the perfect one for you then. Okay. Talk one to One that me. occurred during my first road crew game, twice scored by the same thief on the same poor son of a bitch character. Uh, on the thieves crit table. Yeah. The blow pierces foe's kidneys, inflict plus 3d3 damage with the strike, and the foe is stunned for one round. So after the poor guy had his second kidney obliterated, I was like, all right, dude, he's dead. You know? <laughs> but it was just a fantastic back attack from the thief twice in a row against this guy. Um, oh, and that, you know, speaking of combat maneuvers, Brett, that's probably something that should be pointed out thieves can do a backstab without being silent and hidden and all that good point the, very good the point target just needs to be otherwise occupied so it's a lot different from first edition in that method it, it's not as crippling yes more of a more of a judgment call do i do they are they preoccupied in some right. way that i can get then i can get my stab in if they're already fighting two other people, then I can probably shimmy my way up there and just shank them in the back. Yeah. So, Sean, I think what you're getting at is your criticals and your fumbles. There's good narrative juice in every one of the, yeah, uh, the pieces there. There's nothing in there that says, <laughs> you know, you do you do five extra damage. The foe suffers minus four, and that's it. No, it's there's, like this one. more description. Like on the crit table four, right? This is crit table four. That means there's one, two, and three more. For warriors, there's uh, like you roll a 22, target is disemboweled, spilling his entail, entrails onto the ground. The foe dies of shock in 1d6 rounds. Oh, jeez. Strike to chest, explodes heart, inflict three, plus 3d12 damage with this strike, and the foe must make a fort <clears throat> save or die instantly. Mm-hmm. Right? And your, your fumbles are cool. I mean, wild swing leaves you off balance. Take a minus four penalty on your next attack roll. Inadvertently swing at one randomly determined ally within range. Make an attack roll against that ally using the same attack die you just attempted to use. Yeah. I, yeah. Skull crushed like a melon. Inflict yeah. plus 3d12 damage with this strike, and the foe must make a fort save DC 20 plus, plus PC level or die in one to three rounds. Like, there is a flavor plus the damage. Like, oh, yes. You roll this stuff up, you're like excited to read what the hell you just did. Foe's kneecap explodes into red mist. Yeah. Foe's movement drops to zero feet and you make another attack. Yeah. And it's, it fits, right? So the language, the terms, everything in the crit. I mean, one of the beautiful parts about the system is that everything has the same feel. Nothing feels disjointed. Whenever I read the book a number of times now, everything is the same, the same feel, the same approach. The crits, the fumbles, the mighty deeds, it all speaks to the same type of thing. And when you're in the DCC zone, you want to do this. It's cool stuff. It reads well. It reads fast. And uh, I think it, it becomes, as I like to, I like the background noise for my combat, and it gets there really quick. And it translates no matter what kind of setting you're in. Whether you're in medieval or something futuristic, you know, something set in the Shutter Mountains, it all works to the same degree. Good point. Good point. Favorite fumble on a 10. I don't remember what fumble. Uh, it's the only fumble page. You should have maintained your armor. The joints, <laughs> the joints of your armor seize up, freezing you in place. 
That's awesome. You cannot move or make an attack for 1d3 <laughs> rounds. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. And the and just by the by, the type of armor you wear determines fumble dice. So some of these, because of the way it's set up, that won't happen if you're wearing no armor, right? But right. if you're wearing your heavier armors, that die roll is possible. It, it all works. Yeah. Cool. Which you're right. We should move on or we're never going to end. So... <laughs> Gen Magic. I have I've not run the magic component yet because it was a funnel. We didn't get to actually oh. mess with any spell burn, you know, favor, disfavor. Oh. No, that's that's next time. That's next time. But there is there's spell burn, clerics have favor, disfavor. You've got oh, patrons, see, you've got amazing cool stuff. Corruption. Corruption. You have the mercurial nature of magic. Everyone's spells are slightly different. Gen. It's as fast as you can go. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Give us a little down of magic in five seconds. This was my very first, my, my very favorite part of the book. And the first game I ran, I ran a second level mod so that I could get people to experience the flavor of it. Because running a funnel, yeah, okay, you're you're getting some of the base mechanics down, but I really want you to guys, you guys to see what you can do when you're starting to get these levels. And after the second game that I ran like this, I had people coming up and saying, okay, can we do a funnel now so that we can get invested in our characters, please? And it, nice. it was wonderful. Um, okay, best sales pitch about the magic system here. Uh, no automatic magic missile. May have said that last show, but it bears repeating. Uh, mercurial magic, roll a percentile. Uh, that will determine what needs to be... What requirements need to be met in order for you to cast the spell in the first place, usually? So the cool part is, if Sean and I are playing in Jen's game, he's a uh, wizard, I'm a wizard. We have the same spell. My spell may cost me two fingers every time I cast it, and once I'm out of fingers and toes, I can't cast it anymore. And Sean's may have no such requirement at all. It may be like something totally different. Maybe he gets to roll a d30 to roll his spell. Exactly, because he's a bastard, and I can't. Stand. But um, the, the point yeah. is, is that it there is a there's a component that a magic missile is not a magic missile is not a magic missile. There's always a tweak right. to it. Always something unique about it. Yeah, one of one of the worst is you know somebody that you know dies every yeah. time you cast the spell. The judges call. <laughs> well, so that's why you make friends in every city you go to. Exactly. Uh, or that, way just, that way the rest of your party isn't dying because they're the only five guys you know. You want to meet a couple other men and women somewhere else just in case. Or, you know, maybe the spell is powered by the energies of the living and the nearest creature to the caster takes a D6 hit points of damage per spell level that's being cast. So maybe that's how you fuel this spell. But the mercurial magic, I mean, you can get a rain of frogs. You can even get no effect at all. So it it really swings the gamut on that one. Um, the manifestation is a little bit different as well. Each spell has its own manifestation. So your magic missile, for instance, could be just a bolt of light energy. And Sean's could be black darts shooting from his hand. So everything is a little bit more random and comes to life differently. Which to me is a lot more interesting than, oh, four bolts of light streak out, hit you. Oh, it's a goddamn magic missile. Okay, D4 <laughs> plus one. Um, and some, it, there are, um, there's a limited number of spells 
the way they're doing it is very much to the uh, the Vancean level of where Jack Vance in the Dying Earth books. There's a, a limited number of spells in Dying Earth. That's it in his novels. There's only so many, so much magic there. That's it. I can't remember the damn number, and I read it <sighs> just earlier today. But <clears throat> Dungeon Pro yes. Classics, it says, look, there's only only X number of spells, and it's kind of a mad race for wizards to figure out who who can collect spells, find new ones, and so forth. And because every time it's different, it's not going to be the same fireball for Sean, like we just said, or, or for me. There, um, you don't mind learning that new spell, even if it's the same one your your partner has. It's going to be a little bit different. It's going to have a slightly different effect impact to you and the world around you. It it makes it more fun than oh, I got five guys with fireball. No, right? It's not like that. And much like most versions of D and D are written, the spells that you get are meant to be random but judges can always let you re-roll or something if they're feeling a little bit yeah gratuitous so a spell check right is uh a d20 roll typically mm-hmm. for a player character plus their level plus their intelligence modifier for wizards yes it would be personality modifier for clerics and then they, because they choose the spell they're gonna roll, they're gonna cast, and they roll that, right? And that determines whether they hit or not, right? For the lower level spells, you need a twelve or higher to not lose the spell for the day. Otherwise, unlike most tabletop games that we're used to, you can keep casting that spell over and over, right? And you could lose the spell in DCC. Poof. You can you can lose it for the day, or you could spell burn to be able to recast it that same day. How do you spell burn it, Jen? Oh, easiest way: lose a finger. Um, <laughs> She's not cut, kidding. She's cut your totally ear off. not kidding. Uh, it involves bloodletting. Usually, um, your own is preferred. <laughs> yeah. And the spell casting for clerics, um, you still have the same differential in manifestation, but the clerics do not actually have the mercurial effects attached. That's right. Yeah, I think, what was it? Um, blood, great sorcery. Uh, oh, excuse me. Blood age great sorcery is the quote. <laughs> yes. So Jen's not kidding. You're flipping through. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So you cast, you hit, then you roll on the spells table and find out what the result. So you have an end result, but you look up what that number is based on the spell, right? Right. right. And gives you a certain result. And as I said, usually what you need is a 12 for the lower level spells in order to make that spell go off successfully. Which means if you're level two, you've got a 50-50 chance. Just roll a 10 or higher. So all spells um, have there's, – there's bad sides, right? You can have corruption for wizards and you've got disfavor for clerics. Um, right. I love the corruption picture. It shows this normal little mage and then eventually ends up in this horrible demonic mess at the bottom. Um, so corruption, Jen, what, how, when, when you describe corruption, folks, what's, what's your what's – your, Oh, goodness. How do you do do it? Um, You know, that that guy over there with a club foot? Yeah, chances are he failed animal summoning one too many times. 
Palisade, in a nutshell. Uh, the results for things like that would be, you know, if you roll a one on your, your roll to cast a spell, generally you roll a 1d6 modified by your luck, whether it's positive or negative. And that can range anywhere from the absolute best result being a misfire, which has its own options for each spell, or corruption plus misfire plus patron taint, if applicable. If you have a patron whom you have invested a a few... Uh, I, I should say a, a few little bits of your soul and that patron is there to help you once in a while you, you get to call on him X number of days and it's usually some massively powered semi-deity of some sort so if you screw up a spell like force manipulation you could you could potentially have the caster's face turns transparent, transparent on occasion to reveal the skull beneath um, you could encase yourself in a force bubble and make a DC 10 reflex save each round um, to end up being <laughs> ra- rolled off in a random direction. <clears throat> so it's the yes. the mercurial nature of magic is not just the fact that it behaves differently. You have to do different things. But magic is weird. Magic is nigh uncontrollable. There's only 716, I think it is, uh, spells in the world. And Sounds right. You need to be able – so as a wizard, when you're doing this, it's tricky shit. <laughs> and it, you're not yes. going to be like, look, I'm just going to throw five fireballs because I got five of them memorized today. You you might want to do that, but at a certain point, you're going to be, you know, I kind of want to, my dice are cold today. I don't really want to be doing this all day long. Uh, well, there's I'm, only so much corruption one one man or woman can take before they start acting a little squeamish. And you you may know the spell, but you don't have to, quote unquote, memorize anything. Once you know it, you know it. Good point. Thank you. Uh and on the corruption end, there's minor corruption where you might break out into boils, major corruption. Oh, look, I have a claw instead of a hand and greater corruption. Oh, oh dear. Just, um, you know, nobody in your group really wants to <laughs> hang there's out a, with there's you. There's a corruption piece where <laughs> you have a you- second face that, that uh, manifests on your back and speaks on its own or something like that. It's just, it's horrible (laughs) (laughs) yeah everybody around you is is coated in ash as this explosion centers on the nearest creature yeah it's just you start losing the party's desire to remain with you now another piece of magic is the spell duels component um yes i know different variations of DD have done where you can counter spell and so on. But there yeah. is a section specifically around spell duels and the wackiness that can ensue when you have this mercurial magic and its chaotic forces um, going back and forth at each other. You know, uh, the, the the insane things that can happen there when you're taking two chaotic things and smashing them together at great velocity, you know, bad shit can happen. So do you um, – Very bad. <laughs> our spell duels – so I – again, I've not run into this yet, but Sean and, and Jen, do you guys – have you guys had a lot – are spell duels common? Do the players go, yeah, I really want to get into it? It felt to me when I read it, I'm like, I don't know if my players would do – would this would be something that they jump into or – A lot of them seem a little squeamish about it at first because they're not familiar with it. Okay. And just had someone try it a week or two ago because he wanted to try it. 
He said, oh, someone's trying to cast this against my compatriot over here. I'm going to jump in and counterspell, which means he then jumps up to the foe's point in initiative. And, you know, depending on which spell he casts, you know, the classic example would be something like magic missile, but he casts magic shield to intercept that. And then in the book, it, it does seem a little convoluted in the book. There are a number of tables uh, specifically dealing with spell duels because there's a chart where you go down one list and find, you know, well, this was the attacker's success. And then you go across on the axis and find what the defender's success was. And then that refers you to a separate chart. And, hey, this is what actually happens. Uh, in reality, it's really simple really easy to go through. Uh, on the DCC community, there was actually a, a little dueling community put up where Harley Stroh ran a bracketed tournament for us. <laughs> oh, wow. So we all okay. hopped in with characters and and we got to type out our, our poses and whatnot. And, you know, here's my character. These are the stats and I'm casting this. Okay, and this person cast this to counter it. And the roles are made you know, by the adjudicator. Okay. Post it out front, and okay, this is the result. Next person, you have momentum. You get to go first, and so it was all. I think it took maybe three, three to four days to get through each bracket as people were available, and it was mm-hmm. very educational and entertaining. I think it's one. When I first read it, the, my first read through, I went. It brought me back to Deckers in Shadowrun. I'm like, fuck, this is a game within a game. This is going to be a huge pain in my ass. I breezed through it and went away. <clears throat> like, I don't know if I even want to do this or if I'll treat it as supplemental. I don't know what will happen. And then I read it again. I'm like, okay, this isn't that bad. And when I no. reread it ahead of this last weekend, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was going to run, depending what happened with the group or if they were, didn't want to do a funnel, if I had to do higher level characters or something, I said, all right, well, it's a new system. Uh, if they do want to try this, we'll just go through it by the book, walk it through, and uh, it may be a little slow the first time through. But it, you know, again, reading it, reading through it, I'm like, this can't be that difficult. It's all rulings instead of rules. As long as I follow the spirit through it, I should be okay. Right, and and as I found out myself, it wasn't that difficult to do the little comparison, hop over to this chart. Okay, this is what happens. And then you move on to everybody else in the initiative. So the spell duel doesn't continue until one person wins or loses. It's each round, it's whoever has momentum at that particular point of initiative, you know, between the duelists, they get to go first and then the other one countered spells. And then we continue on with the rest of combat. Okay, see, what you just said there was where I was going to get to because my fear was that in doing it, it would be a snooze fest for every dwarf, you know, warrior, thief, and cleric. Oh, God, wait till the spell duel's over. Can I tell you what was actually the the one thing that put my mind to ease at this? Yes. Because it was far before my time, episode 11 of Spellburn. Okay. Because they had Michael Curtis and Harley Stroh both on fighting each other i listened to that episode and it's awesomely entertaining because they make jabs at each other all the time oh yeah trash talking and yeah yeah i i must have listened to it five different times in the past two years since it's aired 
Just to, uh, for a good refresher. Okay. Yes, definitely. Nice. Okay. Sweet. So I hope that helps a little. I totally does. Sean, anything that you want to talk about magic there? We went kind of heavy on the wizards. The clerical magic seemed simpler to me. I mean, there's disfavor and stuff for clerics. There is. Sean, anything that you've got? I've been. No, disfavor on clerics is, is fun because if you roll, if you roll, if you don't succeed, you get out of disfavor, you're disfavored by your deity. So what happens is the ability for you to fail goes up incrementally. So every time you fail, what what you would normally fail on a one goes up to a two. So then you would fail on a two or you would critically fail on a two or lower. And then if you failed again on your check, it would go up to three and four. So, so it's going to bite you in the ass. Eventually, yeah, you will end up being completely out of favor with your deity. And then you have to do a sacrifice to gain the favor back. And that could be a number of different things. Like it could be gold. It could be recruiting followers, recruiting followers. Yep. Um, which is nice. And that's an interesting dynamic with the cleric and, and that's spell casting as well. And the nice thing is, is that you don't run out of, so the key is right. So in this system for a cleric specifically, you don't run out of the spell. The problem is you risk getting out of favor with your deity. So the more times you cast, the bigger chance you have of failing, which goes to the result of getting out of favor. So that's the nice thing. It doesn't, you don't run out of healing spells, which is nice, but then again, you still have to succeed with them. Yep. So is, is rules light in my opinion, as the system is, and you know, not tons of skills is pretty, it's very simple. I mean, quite frankly, when you get through it all, but the mechanics that are there, really inform play and they help to make that thing happen. Yeah. I remember reading first edition and other variations of D and D like, yeah, if you fuck this up, you may lose your paladin hood. If you screw this up, the the gods might get angry with you. And it was very much like, and, and your, and your DM can do something with it, <clears throat> but this is a, that you, you fail. This specifically occurs as a mechanic within that character class that this is going to happen. If you continue to do this thing, something bad will happen. There's nothing you can, <clears throat> excuse me, not nothing you can do, but I need to sacrifice and so forth. But it's going to happen. It's not one of those things that, oh, shit, I forgot. You know, yeah, you know what? Sean has really been screwing off as a, as the cleric and not following his, you know, lawful deity. I think I should punish him. And then Jen and Sean are like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, we, we, you, now you're going to hit me with this? Why didn't you warn me five sessions back? You have a mechanical warning system built in for the cleric. The wizard has the spell burn. He has these components that are telling him, look, if you keep pushing yourself, you're burning your strength, you're burning your luck, you're burning all this stuff, dude. You know, you're draining the battery. And uh, as light as the system is, the mechanics are there to really enhance and underscore all those key components to 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 the magic system. I really like it. Right. And I know we talked about luck on the last episode, but in a case where... You, know, you would lose your paladinhood. You know, congratulations, now you're a fighter. In place of that, there's actually some suggestions of luck penalties for the judge. So oh. if, if you've been doing a lot of this, well, yeah, maybe uh, like acting significantly outside of your alignment, it's minus one luck, effective immediately. Yeah. You know, it, it's a list of recommendations for the judge just to kind of keep people in line and, and, hey, 
remember, you're supposed to be lawful. Why are you over here stealing and doing this and this and this when you're not a thief? And, you know, just kind of remember your place a little bit. Um, you know, if you are faithfully obedient to your God, you know, you maybe you assist in building a major altar or temple to it. Hey, there's a plus one luck for you for role play. Got it. Yes. So <laughs> speaking of role play and long-term campaigns, we've been hinting, hinting at this for a bit here, the creativity component. We've talked a lot about the different creativity pieces. You, you said it yourself, Jen, with the combat you want. Um, more verbose something other than I hit it, I do four damage. That's fairly mundane and boring. Um, the system can be played. I hit, I damage, I hit, I damage, I hit, I save. I mean, like anything, you could always dumb it down. But as I've said, and I'll repeat myself one more time, but if you play it in the spirit of the way the book is written, when I'm done reading this thing, I want to be verbose in my description of my fight. I really want to do something kick-ass with my mighty deed. You know, I I, I want that in there because everything in the book, it's very encouraging to help you with a ton of really cool examples and the critical charts and all that stuff. Jen, do you have a hard time getting new players to DCC to break out of a I roll a hit? How much damage do do people jump in naturally, or what do you see? Uh, I think if we've got a pretty good surrounding crowd, it it works just fine. I mean, it, it's gotten to the point where it's so pervasive in my life that I'm bringing it to the D and D table, and you know the the DM has to reel me back. Whoa, 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 whoa! We're not playing DCC. I'm like, I don't care if I get a D die. I want to do this cool thing anyway. You know. <laughs> Oh yeah, you can't There's do anything cool. You can't do anything cool. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Wrong game. <Damn> it. <laughs> Fine, I guess I'll roll my dice and hit. You know? <laughs> Settle down, Brinkman. Damn it, girl. Jeez. Sit down. Bring her bring that DCC player to the D D game. Holy cow. God, Somebody better bring her down a notch. It should be noted that we started yeah. playing first ed. After I started running DCC, and it, it just the feel of it was similar, but we're really quickly learning that the cooperative storytelling and and the role play is emerging more in the DCC world. Sean, you've played DCC a hell of a lot more than I have. I played it once. Um, when you played at cons, <laughs> when you played with Jen. Um, do you feel it? Do you feel what Jen's talking about? Or I feel do you want to? Yeah, are you? You're, you're, you're <laughs> feeling, call, I'm feeling you. Man. Bullshit on our guest right now. Do you want to say bullshit, Brinkman? That's not what happens. No, I'm feeling. I'm feeling you, you, dude. Oh, not nice. Thank you. I hate my friends. I think it's. I think I don't know. I think it's a great game, and I think everybody should try it at least once. And you're hearing it here first, people. I'm gonna run it. A zero level funnel. For anybody that um, wants, I'm gonna well, I'm gonna limit the game to I think five people this Saturday, January. Now I say this Saturday because this is a podcast, and they're gonna be like, oh, oh, January of last year. No, <laughs> so January sixth this Saturday. 30th. Is it the thirtieth? The thirtieth at ten a.m. Central Time. Putting this out to listeners who are cool. open to playing. But I think it is a good game. Um, you going to so do I, it on Hangouts? I am going to do it on Roll20, which is like okay. Hangouts. I don't need the maps and all that stuff, but it's really easy just to, you don't need an account necessarily. I guess you do if you need to play, but 
then they're not, yeah, I don't want to be on Google. Well, that's fine. Don't register. You can get on roll 20. Um, we just won't use the maps and we can, and it's got the funky dice. So you'll put the, uh, you'll put the word out on the, uh, social media areas. So folks will know. I will. I'll post it out there. It's, I got to limit it, but I can see me doing this. Uh, if people are interested and maybe shuffling up the times and dates for it to happen. But I, I, going back to what Brett was saying, I think it's good. Um, it can facilitate role playing if that's your thing. If it's not your thing, I think it's still kind of cool because you're going to want to know what's cool and you're going to, it's got flavor built into a lot of the mechanics. Does that answer your question, Brett? It does. It does. Am I now, feeling Jen, it? Was I feeling yeah, it? Does I, that you, answer? You're totally the, feeling it. Right. Yeah, that's good. All right. Now shut up. I want to talk to See, Jen. Enthusiastic <laughs> judges. That's what we need. Exactly. That's right. So if Jen, you when, have that enthusiasm. Your players are going to as well. Cause if Absolutely. I can't, if I can't feel Brett, I'm going to feel myself and we don't want that. Oh my God. And Jen never talked to us again. So, Hey, to- I'm not the one driving down the, the property <laughs> levels. I'm, I'm pretty happy about this one. <laughs> so to the last piece I want to talk about is, and this was my little aside where when I first talked about it to some of um, the different folks, um, they're like, boy, it feels kind of con game one shotty. Is it really, can you do like a, a long-term campaign does that is that something that makes sense or does it, you know, there's some games that you you read them and you're like, oh, this is uh what how do I want to say it? It has a very definitive beginning and ending. It feels like it's a one shot. It feels like it's a short event. And everyone's definition of what's short and what's long is always different. But Jen, when you do you have um do you have a campaign going right now where people are like fourth level or you've been playing for X number of sessions? Do you go through a series of adventures? What what's um oh, how many how many have we done? I want to say easily 60 sessions into the campaign. Okay. Very nice. Easy. Okay. It's been running f- unofficially since late 2012. Cool. Uh, one player got up to sixth level and bowed out as he attained patron status, which was Kind of weird for me. Uh, I still have people coming in with zeros. Okay. But the story can keep going? Yes, definitely. Okay, cool. Even even more so now. I have many different directions to take it into. But I managed to leave it at a point uh, last week that it it opens itself up to a couple different uh, storylines but we're taking a little bit of a hiatus because we've got some stuff to uh, play test. Got it. I do think that this game would be a really good con game to set up. And so far as there's, it's like a single sheet of paper with your character on it, your equipment and you know, all that good stuff. It's a very simple character sheet. The system is not difficult to get and enthusiastic judge. You're going to get in there. You're going to start role-playing you're going to go crazy. Um, But it doesn't have the, the adventures can be short and sweet and still contain all of the right stuff to make it feel like Dungeon Crawl Classics, where sometimes if you play a um, like a Knight's Black Agents game, um, you know, you're, you're Jason Bourne hunting vampires through the, through the gumshoe system. Depending how that's set up, if that one shot for the con or whatever isn't designed appropriately, you're not going to touch all the right, all the cool bits of that game. There's some cool chase mechanics and other things. You, you kind of got to make sure that you design things a certain way. But because of looking at the different Adventures that are generated by Goodman Games and Purple Sorcerer and other folks, they're short, they're they're quick, they get right to the point, and you go. 
it just it feels like if you got a group of people that come together and look, we can only play every so often. Fine, this is a really good game to roll. You can make up characters quickly. You can go. Um, you can obviously do a long term campaign as Jen describes. But it's also you want to go right now. Just we got four hours. Let's play a game. You could totally whip pull this game out, make characters half hour, and you're on the road. All right. So yeah, I want to pimp uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Tadlock, who will never listen to this podcast. I don't even know what happened <laughs> to that guy. I don't see him on Google Plus anymore. And he's he's on the Spellburn show. I heard. But, Is he yeah. on there now? He was. Uh, he's always been on he's there. He's been. That's yeah. right. Okay. But he he did actual play Iron Tavern for thirty episodes. Yes. Oh. Okay. So he did, he and, I don't even remember who was all on there. But I think they got up to 7th level? Yes. For the climax? At least up to that. Um, And yeah, it was getting out of control. In a good way. Once you hit 6th, you end up with 2 attacks per character, and yeah, combat gets slugged down just a little bit. (coughs) Was Joe, Joe wasn't on Iron Tavern, was he? No. No. Not to my knowledge. No, I don't. He doesn't list the, each player on there. But anyways, I'm. Is he going to be at GaryCon? Did he say? Is he going? Jeffrey? Yeah. I I don't know. He was there like two years ago. We were pinging each other, and he's like, "Hey, yeah, yeah, whatever. We got to hook up." And then like the weekend was gone. And I'm like, <laughs> dickhead. Whatever. No, no, he's not he, a dickhead. No, he probably no. figured out. He's, he's like, do I really want to? He hang was out hanging with out Sean? with the DCC people. Come on. I could have been there. I could have swore I, I might have been sitting right next to him and not even have known it. Or he, or he just didn't want to talk to you. Well, he's got his like profile God. pic on Google Plus with sunglasses on, which you know, drives me crazy. Because then if I do see him and he's <laughs> he standing, tell he standing next to me, I don't even know if it is him. Just walk around with sunglasses and put them on everyone next to you. Well, hey, Jen, when you you guys get on the air or you ping him, I'll ping him. I'm going to get off this. I'm going to be like, dude, what's the deal, man? Where are you? Where are you going to be at Game Hole? I'm talking to you about on our podcast. <laughs> nice. We so, should, sir, yes, sir. Right. Jen, um, I think we're pretty – anything else you wanted to talk about? I think I covered the bits that I was – as the newest person between the three of us that come to it, this this hit the highlights for me. Um, anything that you that you want to throw out there? Ups, downs, things people should be – so What's your favorite part of DCC, Jen? That's what Brett's really asking. Damn good question. Damn good. <sighs> why, why do, um, well, yeah, what's your favorite part? It didn't start out this way, but – these days, the community. At oh. first, at first, it was the rules that brought me in, but definitely the community. There's, I don't have the awe effect. I'm going to get that one. There, there's very few people in it for themselves. I, I mean, the amount of free material out there as far as adventures, resources, I'm, it's, it's mind-boggling. I'm still trying to create a, a directory with a piece of everything in it. So it, it's, it's pretty comprehensive. There you it go. Is, it, it is a nice community as well, just as far as everybody kind of, you, you don't have, there's no DCC edition wars. There's no one who says, I like first better than second and screw you third, third ed players. There's none of that. You don't have, you have people who may have played different games, obviously throughout time, they bring different components to it. But as I was kind of preparing for last show and, and then looking up for next last weekend and for this show, I'm like, everybody, <laughs> I'm sure somebody somewhere doesn't get along, but everything I see online, I'm like, everyone's trying to help each other. They're producing good stuff. Somebody exactly. may say, yeah, I don't necessarily like that adventure. I know some people do like it. It's not my, not my cup of tea. I like this other one better. And, uh, it's, it is, I really do think, um, just from me coming in newer, it's very welcoming from oh, a yeah. community. So it's really cool. 
you know, when the authors are the very first people welcoming you into that community, when you post your little intro, I, I was floored. Like, wow, they actually are here and they're part of the community. They're not just in the background doing their thing. They're helping to foster the camaraderie. And yeah, hands down, it's my favorite part of GaryCon. Cool. Well, Sean, what? anything else? Anything no. from you, sir? Uh, no. no. I, I can't say anything more than what's already been said. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I'm totally flabbergasted. We need, and we should probably do die roll. We should do die roll. Let's move it on. All right. Die roll. 2d4 miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery we want to bring to your attention. I have a few. Brett has a few. Jen, we, we should have included you in on this. And, and if you have some that. She's got one, I think. You want to add in there, you are certainly welcome to do that. Um, we'll start off with, we'll give you time, Jen, if you want to. We'll probably, we'll probably bring up ones you already want to pimp anyway. Um, All right. We'll, we'll start with Brett as always. Oh, thank you. I've got two here. I want to talk about uh, Alchemy. It is in a KWAS single. That is a Ken Writes About Stuff. That's Ken Height, uh, Pelgrane Press. Out on DriveThruRPG, he's got a little write-up around Alchemy. Um, I like Alchemy. It's one of those pieces that I like to add into different role-playing games. So I'm a Ken Height fan. So when he writes something about a topic I'm interested in, I'm going to go out and grab it. And I think you should, too. Link in the show notes. Go take a look. The other one is a patron of the show, Forrest Aguirre is uh, looking to spring his Beyond the Silver Scream DCC adventure at GaryCon. He had... Um, <clears throat> so Forrest had posted, uh, I think, I can't remember who posted originally, but he had linked to the original post with some art out on Google+. I'm like, God damn, I'm going to bring that up. So Forrest, <laughs> um, hopefully hopefully this does hit GaryCon. Uh, check him out. I've got a link there in the notes. If you're not, um, Forrest is a DCC guy. He loves their stuff, so... Forrest, I hope that works for you, man. Uh, we're rooting for you here. So, Sean, over to you, sir. I will um, I will piggyback on Forrest's initiative. Eric Farmer from the community um, asked us to mention this, and he, he didn't really – he's like, anywhere you can. Um, so I will quickly read this quick. Uh, quickly, quickly, quick read this. I'm per- – yes. Hey, Brett and Sean, I'm participating in the Corridor Games On Demand at GameCon at the end of February and was hoping to get a shout out. Corridor Games On Demand is a group that promotes and runs a variety of small press RPGs at cons and gaming stores. We'll be at GameCon in Iowa City, February 26th to the 28th, 2016, with a combination of scheduled events and the always exciting indie grab bag where you pick what you want to play and we run it. We also have special guests Megan Peterson from the Jank Cast and Wheel Tree Press, as well as Nathan Paoletta from NDP Designs Worldwide Wrestling at Annalise, running and playing games. I'll be so he's going to be running Swords Without Masters, uh, in Master Inspectors, and possibly Shooting the Moon. Other games on offer: Worlds in Peril, The Final Girl, Time Cellist, the Time Cellist or Time Cellist. Good, sure. Yeah. Lady, yes. I got to go look that up. Lady Blackbird, Mask of the Mummy Kings, and more. And on Sunday, we'll be having a green light tournament, a new party game about pitching reboots of classic movies. Hmm. So there you go, Eric. So I asked Eric, I'm like, dude, you guys got, if you got a group, you got to have a website. And then you just point the people to the website of the group and where the group's going to kind of be their 
Because kind of, it sounds like they kind of go to different cons all over the place to do this. But uh, he's helping out a friend. So, yeah, there you go, Eric. Uh, good luck on all that. And if you're going to be at Game of Con, by all means, he did leave me some uh, links that I could try to put in the show notes as well. Anyways. All right. All right and then we've got John Marr, who is the proprietor of Purple Sorcerer Games. Uh, so I reached out to John because I've gotten some of his products before. He does products for DCC. We mentioned Purple Sorcerer Games earlier in the episode. He's given us five promo codes. And if so what I'd like to see happen, we're going to give these five promo co- codes out to individuals um, that tweet out, hey, Purple Sorcerer Games rocks, and a link to Purple Sorcerer's website and say, Hey, I got, I, you know, I love these guys or I love their tools. Mention them, point to their website, heard about them on the gaming NBS podcast, either posted on Google plus Facebook or Twitter, show us the link, send us the link. Um, and you have to send us an email with the link in it. Okay. That's the, that's what you have to do. So there's a few things you have to do for this to get a promo code. And the promo code is going to be to a free copy of John's first DCC adventure that he's wrote, which is Perils of the Sunken City. And we'll get you a copy of that in PDF format from Purple Sorcerer Games. But first of all, you have to point to their website, how how they're awesome or in some capacity or another, and that you heard it from Gaming and BS, and then email us that, a proof that you did that, a link to your post. And the the reason we asked for the email is, we need your email to get you an actual uh, code. John actually needs that. So we'll pass that along to John. He'll give us the code or give you the code. And then um, you can get a copy of Perils of the Sunken City, which is very awesome. Thanks, John Marr, for being able to do that. So go ahead. We look forward to getting your emails. Uh, only have five to give out, but nonetheless, that'll be awesome. Moving on to that, DCC uh, on Reddit. Yes, DCC has a Reddit. So if you're a Reddit um, aficionado, I'll have a link to their Reddit in the show notes. Check that out. Also, a review on DCC on the YouTubes, which I thought was amusing. It's about a 20-minute video of, of, a, of a gentleman that put it out there. I think it's called Drunken and Dragons or something. And he's got four shots lined up in front of him. Um, quite amusing. Does a really good job, though. Um, Check that out if you want to know more about DCC and we didn't cover it. And then, of course, Iron Tavern DCC actual play podcast. I mentioned Jeffrey just a few minutes ago. Link in the show notes if you want to listen to like four four folks go through an actual play campaign of Dungeon Crawl Classics. Uh, I would encourage you to check them out. Jen, do you have anything to add to die roll? Um, Gary Con oh. this year. Uh, March 3rd through 6th, I believe, or 4th through 6th, technically. Yep. Uh, I will be running three sessions, two on Thursday, one on Friday, of a playtest for the illustrious Harley Stroh. The Is he going to be there? Uh, he will not, Boo. sadly. Uh, his his youngest first birthday falls during that so uh, i did oh, that, that'll slow you down yeah just a little yeah um he is in the process of a very 
shall we say, ambitious module, and I'm getting a key portion of it to playtest in that four-hour slot. Nice. Cool. Yes. Four hours of DCC playtesting with Jen Brinkman. This sounds like a win. This is good. Three opportunities. Three opportunities. Nice. Mm-hmm. Anything else, Jen? Um, Spellburn.com, Sanctum.media. Am I covering my basis here? Yeah, I, I was going to say, uh, wherever you want to be found. Where I want to be found? Yeah. Where do you want to be found? <laughs> where, where, can, <laughs> where can they find you? Can I just you? go hide under a rock now? No, not allowed. <laughs> I'm, I'm on those social media things yep. sometimes when I'm not working. Excellent. It's all good. Excellent. What else we got, Sean? I think that wraps it up for our two-parter. Thanks, Jen, so much from Brett and I. We appreciate it. Well, um, I give some help. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. So uh, this show brought to you by patrons like Joe Swick, Love Kevin Lovecraft, Steve Day, Old School DM, Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Jeff Rademacher, Forrest Aguirre, Misdirected Mark, Brett's Biggest Fan, and new patrons like Mark Anthony Benedetti and Tony Baker. Consider becoming a Patreon and supporting the show at gamingabs.com forward slash Patreon. Brett, any final words? No, I think that covered it. Jen, thank you so much. This has been awesome. I appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. All right. With that, I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night. Good game and all.